Welcome to the Innovation in Government show sponsored by Kerasoft. Each month we'll talk with industry experts who enable innovation and make government more responsive and secure by advancing key technologies. Now here's your host, Jason Miller. Welcome to Innovation in Government. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is John Davis, the Vice President of Public Sector for Palo Alto Networks. John, welcome to the show. Thanks, Jason. Pleasure to be here. Before we get started, let me set some context for our discussion. For the last year or so, Zero Trust has been one of those buzzwords. Every CIO, every CISO, every vendor talked about this new approach to cybersecurity, how over time shifting to a zero trust architecture would provide agencies with a more rigorous approach to network system and data security. But like any security tool or concept before, zero trust is not a panacea to all the federal government's cybersecurity challenges. What zero trust is, according to Forrester, is a set of robust detection and incident response capabilities to protect your vital digital assets. The industry government group ACT-IAC released a white paper in 2019 on Zero Trust and offered a more focused view of this concept. In it, the public-private working group recognized what Zero Trust is a security concept anchored on the principle that organizations need to proactively control all interactions between people, data, and information systems to reduce security risks to acceptable levels. They also highlighted an important aspect of this approach. The current set of tools many agencies are using can play a big role in this Zero Trust architecture. So, how can agencies move down this path toward creating a zero-trust environment? What are the potholes to avoid and concepts they need to be front of mind? Well, that's where my guest comes in. My guest, once again, is John Davis, the Vice President of Public Sector for Palo Alto Networks. Uh, John, let me start with this concept of zero-trust. It gets thrown around a lot. I, I made, made a little poking, poked a little fun at it because it's all the buzzword, the latest buzzword. But describe what you consider zero-trust is. Sure thing, Jason. Uh, I guess we could start with the motto. A lot of people know the motto for zero trust. It's trust nothing, verify everything. I thought that was a Reagan thing. <laughs> I think it's pretty evergreen. Evergreen, there you go. But uh, it just so happens, you mentioned Forrester. Well, the person who was the founder of this concept, John Kindervog, when he was at Forrester, has joined my company, Palo Alto Networks, as the field uh, chief technology officer. So I've had a chance to spend a lot of time talking to the master about this concept. So for me, uh, there, uh, there are a couple of key concepts here for Zero Trust. The first one is, it's a change in approach. What we used to do uh, is start at the perimeter and try to keep bad things out and assume that everything that was inside that perimeter was good. That's no longer valid. And the Zero Trust approach is about, is about from going from the inside out and protecting things at the lowest possible uh, level that you can draw a perimeter. And, and the second big concept is that means if you take an inside out approach, then you got to figure out what is it that's most important to my business or my mission to protect. In the military, you know, I spent 35 years in the military. For us in the cyber domain, that was called cyber key terrain. In other words, the, it was a, a mapping of the most important network systems, data, and even people that each organization relied on to do its most important mission or function. Uh, in Zero Trust, uh, John Kinderbog talks about a protect surface. It's the same concept. It's that shrinking things down to what is most important to protect in, in an organization, and then making sure that you're able to have fine granular controls, visibility and protections around that protect surface. So if I had to uh, wrap this all into a saying, uh, to me, zero trust is really about ensuring that only authorized users are allowed to do authorized functions using authorized applications 
with authorized content from authorized devices. And anything else is not allowed unless you make an exception for it. I heard a theme toward the end there, the key word there, authorized. Yes. And I think that's probably the biggest concept of zero trust is what are you allowed to see, what are you allowed to do, and then what are you allowed to do with it? So, for example, uh, can John Davis read this document? Yes, he can. Can he write it? You know, can he, can he make changes? No, he can't. So it goes back to that roles and responsibilities, which is a huge, what we've been talking about for, I felt like, the last 15 or 20 years is that next level. So we're getting there. That's what you're saying. Yes, yes. Slowly, I do. I slowly. <laughs> it, it's, it's a journey. It is a journey. One of the things that, that you bring up is uh, cyber key train. I think it's a great concept that I think the civilian agencies, because you mentioned that's a very DOD folk kind of uh, approach. In the civilian world, they've changed it to the high value assets and kind of that inside out perspective. When you talk to agencies, when you work with their, when you work with your agency customers, are they starting to take that approach? Or are they still in that in between stage of the perimeter, the high wall, the moat, and then they're starting to look at the high value assets? Where are we in the journey? Uh, I think it depends. Um, I think that uh, it's it's uneven across both industry and across government. Some organizations are better at it than others. Um, and I believe that those who are better at it than others do understand the need to start there. Start with what's most important because you can't protect everything from everything. You know, it's in the military terminology that makes you weak every, everywhere. So if you really want to be strong where it counts, you got to figure out where it matters most. And that's either cyber key terrain as a concept, protected surface, uh, high value uh, assets. There are many different terms to, to, uh, to explain the same dynamic. And the companies that are, and, and government organizations that are really good at that spend a tremendous amount of time on that first step before they then come up with an architecture and a, a strategy to build an architecture to secure those things. It's very similar to this idea that if you don't know what you're protecting, then you can't protect anything. You just end up protecting nothing. So walk me through why Zero Trust now. Why are we at the point where we're talking about it and doing it? Okay. In other words, why is it so important? Well, sure. You can say it that way. Okay. Uh, <laughs> well, uh, this is the way I look at it. Uh, if you look at the, the, the marketplace of technology... Uh, and, the, and the dynamics that are happening have been happening now for the past 10, 15 years. Uh, everything is moving in a direction that is bringing uh, more and more opportunity, more and more benefits, uh, especially in social and economic arenas. But at the same time, with that growth, at the same time, there's always a dark side to the, to the coin, you know, and that's risks and threats and, and, and uh, and dangers that are associated with this rapid growth. What makes that even uh, more dramatic is if you look at this phenomenon called the Internet of Things, where we're connecting everything to this IT environment, and you look at the growth of 5G technologies. So now you're talking not just scale with Internet of Things, but speed with being able to connect to these things. Um, <coughs> what that means is that the attack surface the, the opportunity for threats to take advantage of vulnerabilities in that attack surface is growing exponentially. But that's not the only problem. There's, a, there's an even worse problem associated with this, and that is not just scale, but impact or consequence. Because now you're talking about, I mean, we know that there are adversaries, nation state adversaries that are targeting uh, both government and, and industry 
uh, what's important to government and industry, and we know they're targeting critical infrastructure. And so, and, and not just nation state adversaries, but this whole uh, panoply of uh, loosely controlled third party actors like surrogates and front companies and, and criminal organizations and even patriotic hackers that are kind of, you know, they're taking a hint in some cases from, from governments that may not be friendly towards us. And in other cases, they're getting absolute direction. But their, their skills and their motivations are, are questionable. So you've got this, this whole array of threats that now have access to not just, you know, as bad as it was to have your, your data encrypted for ransom or your, your personal information uh, taken and, and exposed on the dark web or your secrets. Uh, taken for espionage purposes. As bad as that was, now you're putting mass transit systems at risk. You're putting potentially life-sustaining devices at risk. So for me, the, the thing that I worry about, and as a, someone who's been in the national security community, the, the military for 35 years, I don't think it's hyperbole to say that the path we're on could people, put people's lives at risk if we don't treat bake-in security as we look to this technology. And so I think we're at a, a critical point now where we need to absolutely do that. The other piece that I think you were, I thought you were going on this path was when you talk about the impact, you talk about the nation states, you talk about the criminal organizations, they have access to a much deeper, much more powerful set of tools that they can attack. And then as the tax service gets bigger, they have more areas to go in. You know, the old saying of attackers just have to find one way in, but the defenders have to defend everything. I think that's the other reason why zero trust becomes, has become much more popular and much more, oh, we have to go down there because we just can't keep up with the, the scale and the impact. And, and more bad news. More uh, bad news, great. More bad news. The, the attackers uh, have traditionally had an advantage over defenders. and. If you look at what's happening in the threat landscape now, more use of automation, more use of, of, of uh, uh, file sharing and tool sharing, uh, and it's, e it's becoming easier for attackers to do what they want, to, you know, whatever their intended purpose is, at greater speed and at greater scale. So, so the good news, the, the counter to that is a zero trust approach, where you provide the opportunity to see and stop a threat before it's successful. Or at least that, that's best case. Worst case, limit the damage that, that, uh, that could result from a successful attack. I think that's the key that what I've heard about zero trust and why people are, are excited about it is the limiting of the damage. Okay, I lost this server, but I don't lose my whole system or the whole network is not gonna come down. It's just a piece of it. Uh, and I, and I, do think that the automation, the fact that there's so much sharing going on, has obviously both good and bad news. Automation also can help with the cybersecurity, which we may get to later in the program. This idea of you know Absolutely. whether it's AI or, or machine learning, or just the fact is that you can run certain scripts to, to get through it. Where does industry fit into this? I mean, beyond providing tools, you know, industry is, is bringing resources, bringing knowledge, but what are they doing to, to kind of help agencies move down the path of zero trust? Uh, you're talking the federal government agencies? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, two, two things come to mind. One is uh, information sharing, threat intelligence sharing, which has been, which, which has, I won't say it's perfect, but has been made easier by recent, well, uh, 2015 legislation. It feels so, recent, doesn't it? Yes, it does. <laughs> um, and there's a lot going on in the, in the threat information sharing space, both government to industry, industry to government, and across industry. 
the second area is a lot of innovation happening in, uh, in the cybersecurity industry right now, across the industry. I recently testified, well, I guess it was uh, a year ago, testified before the uh, Cybersecurity Subcommittee of the Senate Armed Services Committee, and that was the question is, what is it that DOD should be leveraging from, from industry? And then we had a panel, and I was one of four uh, representatives. And my response was that use of automation and, and software-based advanced analytics like machine learning, big data, deep learning, uh, behavior analytics, and even AI when, when, we, when we fully mature that, uh, the threat is using those already. Industry has learned how to use those in the defense. And that I believe government agencies, that, that's where industry can really help government agencies are in those two areas of automation because you've got to fight machines with machines. You've got to fight software with software instead of fighting it with, with people because we'll never have enough people to, to solve this problem using people alone in a, in a very response-oriented uh, uh, methodology. It's interesting you bring up the behavior analytics. I think that is where, in many ways, where Zero Trust is helping agencies get to. I was on a panel just recently with um, the SBA chief technology officer, and, and he said one of the cyber tools that they are using is this idea that if uh, John Davis logs in in Washington, D.C. at you know, 8 a.m. and then logs in, his credentials are used to log in again in California at 9 a.m., there's a problem that's a red flag because there's no way you can get in an hour from D.C. to California, and it's that type of thing that Zero Trust can come in and be like, hold on, problem, red flag, block, stop what's going on, and I think that's, that's the promise, and the, that behavior side. Is Trust nothing, verify everything, and that, that's a tool to verify that that is an, an authorized user doing authorized yep. things. John, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we can continue our conversation. You're listening to the discussion, Innovation in Government, sponsored by Kerasoft on Federal News Network. Zero Trust is a cybersecurity strategy that addresses the shortcomings of traditional security approaches by removing the assumption of trust altogether. It's rooted in the principle of never trust, always verify, and designed to protect modern environments. Palo Alto Networks has been recognized as one of the first cybersecurity companies to embrace Zero Trust, enabling robust security that is simple and allows enterprises to address business requirements while enabling them to move with agility and speed. Palo Alto Networks has been recognized by Forrester Consulting as a leader in their Zero Trust Extended Wave Report as an integrated platform aligned to Zero Trust. To read the report, visit go.paloaltonetworks.com slash ztxwave. Welcome back. You're listening to Innovation in Government, sponsored by Kerasoft on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is John Davis, the Vice President of Public Sector for Palo Alto Networks. Now, John, before break, we were talking about what Zero Trust is, how it works, why is it important. Let's get down to the nitty-gritty, if you will, and say, okay, how do you get there? What are the challenges to implementing this idea of a Zero Trust uh, architecture? Sure, Jason. Um, well, we've, we've been at this now uh, for, for a number of years, and we've learned some lessons. And so what I'm going to share with you is some of the lessons we've learned about the challenges, and, and then we can talk about how we fix those later on. But um, there's no cookie cutter. There's no silver bullet. Every organization is unique. Um, and so uh, because of that, uh, there, there's no such thing as a zero trust product or it, zero trust is a strategy. And it's a journey. Um, and it's never static, it's always dynamic, because the threat is dynamic and the technology is changing so often. So as, as we talked about earlier, 
One of the biggest challenges that we've seen is, is trying to get at this problem using only people solutions. And you can't, you will never have enough. There are estimates that were short, you know, uh, over a million uh, people in, in cybersecurity related jobs already. And there's no, there's, there's no path to creating the number of people that we need using the legacy approach. So as I mentioned before, uh, organizations have had challenges meeting this, this threat, addressing this threat using, uh, using a people-only approach. Now people are important, certainly are important, but you need to save your people for what only people can do better than machines, like hunting and deep analysis, those type of, those type of high-end uh, SOC analyst or, or you know, um, security operations center analyst skills, they're never gonna go away. But if you start leveraging machines to fight machines and software to, f to fight software, then you put yourself in a much better posture. Uh, another, another challenge we've seen is this idea of the zero trust concept used to be relatively, well, relatively simple to accomplish when everything was, was uh, physical, when everything was fixed or stationary, when everything was on-prem and there were clear boundaries between perimeter and data center and endpoints. That's all gone now. Everything's gone from being uh, uh, physical to virtual. Everything's gone from being fixed to mobile, and, and IoT really accentuates that, that challenge. Everything's moving from on-prem to some version of the cloud, public, private, hybrid, multi-cloud, even SaaS, uh, software as a service. So. So the challenge of being able to see and stop a threat as it, as it goes through the attack process, you know, the attack, the, some people call it kill chain, other call it the life cycle, but it, the steps of reconnaissance, uh, delivery mechanism, exploitation of a vulnerability, installation of code, uh, establishing a control channel, escalating privilege, and moving laterally in the network to where you need to be. That process takes time. And if you can have visibility and security controls or protections at, at the, the right places in an enterprise environment, you're able to, to turn that what you talked about up front around where the defender no longer has to be right everywhere all the time and the attacker only has to be right once. Now the attacker's gotta be right at every one of those steps along the way before they have a successful outcome. And it doesn't matter if you're criminal, nation state, terrorist, or or a hacker, it's the same process. Uh, now the defender only has to see and stop them at one of those steps along the process. The challenge though, that most organizations have been dealing with is being able to do that in the, the very diverse parts of an enterprise environment we, ha we have now with all these changes in cloud and, and virtual and, and mobile. So organizations that, uh, that do this best are able to uh, use technology and processes and their people to, uh, to achieve complete, continuous, and consistent visibility and protections at all those different parts of the environment because different parts of the, of the kill chain or the attack process, different parts of that occur in different parts of the environment. So, and I, and I think that is really the key is continuous, complete, and most importantly, consistent visibility and protections. Otherwise, you're looking through a bunch of soda straws at different parts of the problem and trying to figure out how to pull that whole picture together. I want to go back to something you said around the cloud and, and 
on one hand, I think there's a belief that the cloud makes security easier because it's a distributed model. It's, it's not in a data center. Once you're in the data center, you're in the data center. If you took down this part of the cloud, I could move that data out, put it on a different part of the cloud that you can't get into. Is that the case or is the cloud, yeah, that may be true, but they, using the cloud adds another level of complexity because of your, your, of the third party trust issues because of, of the data is being mixed in together. Talk about where the cloud fits into this discussion. Uh, it's it's uh, it's it's a complicated uh, it's a complicated thing from my perspective. I think uh, so many organizations see the benefit and the opportunity associated with the agility that cloud and scale that cloud capabilities give you, and at the same time, a lot of these cloud service providers are getting really good at securing the infrastructure of the cloud, and so from my perspective. We're at a point now where when it comes to cloud infrastructure security, most organizations in my view are better off moving to the cloud. The challenge is though, that that's, the cloud service providers are only responsible for half the problem. And that's the infrastructure of the cloud. The data and the applications in the cloud, that's still the responsibility of the user organization, the, the enterprise. And so if you don't have the capability to match both parts together, you're, you're assuming that that's taken care of, and that's, it's not. You still have the responsibility for doing that. A lot of, a lot of companies like mine, that, that's where we come in by providing the capability for you to have that granular control over what users are doing, with what applications, are they authorized, are they not, what's the content. You know, sometimes you have to, you have to inspect because uh, you know, a lot of the threats are encrypted these days, and, and even device control in the cloud. So you have to do that part, it, it, but if you do, then I think cloud security is something that it, you, you can definitely manage the risk uh, very effectively. You laid out several challenges. How do we overcome those challenges? Uh, and where does this maturity model that I know ACT IAC talked about, I think others have talked about, fit into measuring and helping you overcome the, 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 these challenges? Sure. Um, this is, I won't say that, I know there are different maturity models associated with it. This is, this is how I look at it, this is how a lot of us in, in, the, in the industry look at it. Uh, first of all, let me just say that um, you, we believe that you can take care of about 80% of the problem by doing a couple of things really well. And that's identifying the apps, identifying the users in, a, in an environment, then identifying the, the uh, applications and then you put the, uh, the users in small functional buckets. And, and, you know, and, and once you do that, then you can decide which apps are authorized for which buckets. And then you put policies in place in order to ensure that's what's happening and that you can see what's happening and that you can control it. If you do that, I think that's about 80% of the problem. Now, if you want to get to 90% of, of you know, addressing the challenge, now you got to do that with devices. And you got to determine which devices are on the network. Uh, you got to decide, uh, you got to put these devices into uh, small functional buckets. Then you got to decide which buckets can talk to each other. And then you got to put policies in place to make sure that that's happening. That you have visibility of what's happening across those devices and the ability to control it, to, to provide protections if something, if something bad is going on. <coughs> 
Why do, you, why do you think devices is not part of that 80%? Is that because if you know your users and your apps, the device, I don't say it doesn't matter, but maybe matters a little less? I, th I think that it's, it's more difficult with devices. Even though they're both dynamic and they're both changing, I think probably you've got a better, sh you, you provide a better baseline starting with your users and your applications. And then if, if you get that, like I said, I think that what we're seeing in terms of threats uh, especially in a cloud environment, sure. that's where they're coming from, mainly. That's not to say they don't come from you know, the device aspect of this, they do. But most of them are, and, and by the way, cloud security, since we're talking about that, cloud security is different than on-prem security, very different, and the threats operate differently. So in a cloud, so you, you can't just lift and shift what you did in, on an on-prem environment to a cloud because of things like containerization, workloads, uh, serverless environments, and even identity-based, you know, micro-segmentation requirements that are that that are unique in a cloud. So, um, I would say that um, um, it's different. It's much more challenging, and that's why a phased approach uh, makes a lot of sense to organizations. As you talk to agencies in the government, do you find that they've identified their users, but not quite the apps? Have they done the users and the apps, but not the devices? Where are they on, on this continuum? And I know everyone's a little different, but w what are you seeing? What are some of the trends? Yeah, it's uneven, but there are some, uh, there's some, a lot of progress that's being done. Um, I can say that uh, uh, across DOD, I know there's a lot of emphasis on this, and, and, and also at the uh, National Cyber Center of Excellence that I believe is housed at the at NIST, the National Institute of Standards and Technology. Uh, a lot of industry uh, representatives are helping government uh, tackle this problem of achieving this kind of a zero trust architecture. Um, but here, one of the keys we found is even with these organizations that are doing it well, it takes testing and it's a step-by-step -step process. And you can't just, you know, can't just push a button and, and you've got a zero, zero trust architecture. You do have to do proof of concepts, which is what NCCOE, the Cyber Center of Excellence, is doing. Um, and it's exactly what, uh, what DOD is doing as well, and we're trying to help them uh, achieve that. It would be so nice if you just add another tool and say, I'm done, I'm zero trust, right? <laughs> it would be nice, but it just doesn't work that doesn't way. Work that way. It's interesting you bring up the human challenge because we always talk about the workforce. You brought up the workforce, but as you said, you can't. You have to be machine to machine. It's got to be software to software, and I think that's the key where agencies need to go, and that's where I think industry can come in as well. Absolutely, absolutely agree with you. Are you are you seeing that that, you're, that that industry is starting to provide that machine to machine help? Yes, that's available now. It's available and getting better every day out in industry. The innovations that I talked about earlier in automation and, and software-based advanced analytics is very good. And it's because, and one of the reasons, is because there's so much of the right kind of data that's available now. Data from networks, data from cloud, data from endpoints. And being able to stitch that data together and do analytics on top of it, and you're talking about petabytes of that kind of data, uh, indicators of compromise across the kill chain or the attack process, and uh, contextual information around that, uh, that gives you an enormous advantage. That, that's where you can get, a, you know, people say the attacker has uh, advantage over the defender. That's where I believe you can get parity. And maybe in temporary cases, you can get an advantage over an attacker. All right, we can spend a whole other show on that, but unfortunately we're out of time for today. So let me thank my guest, John Davis, the Vice President of Public Sector for Palo Alto Networks. John, thank you so much for taking the time. My pleasure, Jason. I'm Jason Miller, and you've been listening to the discussion, Innovation in Government on Federal News Network. 
For more on this discussion, visit federalnewsnetwork.com and search innovation. Thank you for listening to the Innovation in Government show sponsored by Kerasoft on Federal News Network. The entire discussion can be found on demand at federalnewsnetwork.com, keyword innovation.